Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist and the host of this podcast, From Crisis to Connection. This is a podcast about relationships, the relationships with others, of course, but also the relationship with ourselves and the relationship with our higher power. I believe we experience our deepest joys when we're in harmony with these relationships. But when we lose that connection to ourselves and others through our own unhealthy behaviors like addictions, infidelity, secrecy, abuse, and so on, or we lose it by being betrayed by someone else's choices, it throws us into crisis. Getting out of crisis and living in connection isn't always straightforward or easy, but it is possible. And that's why every week I bring you incredible guests who share their life experiences and expertise to help you move from crisis to connection. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It's good to be with all of you once again. I'm excited this week to bring you another interview with Michelle Mays. I had her on the podcast last time to talk about emotions and how to make space for emotions, and I hope you enjoyed that episode. And of course, as I always say, if you haven't listened to it, go check it out. I think you'll be really impressed with the great discussion and the information that she shares. It was awesome. This week, we're going to talk about something that at first sounds like kind of a mouthful. We're going to talk about culture-based attachment shaming. Now, what in the world am I talking about? All right. You've probably had this experience before where you break up with somebody or you lose a relationship or you're just feeling really lonely and insecure. And all of a sudden you feel like you're regressing back. You're like, why do I keep thinking about that person? Why do I want them when they're not good for me? Why do I feel so clingy all of a sudden? This happens to us as adults. And a lot of us feel shame around it because we get messages from our culture that we're not supposed to need other people. We get messages that the healthiest people out there don't need anyone. And so there's a lot of culture-based attachment shaming that goes on because the truth is, is that we are relationship creatures. We are built for connection. We need other people and we need a healthy balance of independence and dependence. But this is easier said than done. So a lot of the times we get lots of mixed messages and we send mixed messages around attachment. Michelle and I are gonna talk about attachment. We're going to talk about how the culture shames us and criticizes our natural attachments to each other. We're going to talk about how this is actually harmful to our individual and collective well-being. And when dealing with betrayal and messy relationship situations, how our views of attachment can make it harder for us to get the healing that we want, both individually and as couples. So we've got a lot to talk about today, and I'm excited to share all this with you. Michelle Mays, is a licensed professional counselor. She's a certified sexual addiction therapist supervisor and the founder and clinical director of the Center for Relational Recovery in Northern Virginia. And she's also the founder of Partner Hope, which is an online portal offering authentic hope and healing for betrayed partners. And they have a lot of great information, resources, tools, and other things on that website. 
Michelle's an author, a writer. She has a great blog on her website, and she's also written a couple of books, The Aftermath of Betrayal and When It All Breaks Bad, 10 Things to Do and Not Do After Betrayal. And Michelle's links and all that stuff, I'll put it in the show notes. You're definitely going to want to check her out and follow her stuff. But let's jump right into my interview on culture-based attachment shaming with Michelle Mays. Okay, well, welcome back to the podcast. Michelle, thanks again. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Okay. So next discussion. So we're going to talk about this phenomenon that affects especially betrayed partners. The majority of the partners I work with that have been betrayed in a sexual sexual betrayal are, are generally women. So we'll just phrase it as that just for simplicity today. But there's this dilemma that happens with them around their relationship, getting lots of conflicting messages. So they get the message of run for the hills from everybody around them, right? And then there's also an internal message that says, but this relationship, like there's a bond, there's a, like they have an almost like a biological imperative to like reach and connect to that person who might mm-hmm. be unsafe for them. And, and yet there's a lot of shame that's kind of floods in around feeling like they shouldn't be in this dilemma, feeling like they're doing it wrong and so on. So that's, that's something I'd love to talk about with you today is really understanding what's going on here. And then also giving some ideas, tools, support for partners and those who are trying to support them about how to navigate this really tricky phenomenon that happens with betrayal. It is really tricky. It is very tricky. 100% in agreement with you on that. So yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So let's start off just real quickly for those listeners who maybe don't have much of a context of what the heck we're talking about with attachment. Can you give just a brief overview of of what we're even Mm -hmm. talking about with that term? Yeah, so attachment is really how we connect and bond to other people. And our attachment system is a psychobiological system in our body, which means it involves every part of our body, but it is a system in in our body. And so when our attachment system is functioning, like when our attachment system fires, it tells us to move close to those that we are bonded to. It primes us for relationship. It primes us to be close to others. So our attachment is, our attachment system is one of our primary survival tools as human beings, because we really do live by that rule, live together, die alone. And we do much better in every area of life when we are securely attached to other people, Mm -hmm. bonded with other people. And we survive as a species because we banded together. Right. So this is one of our most primal survival tools. And it is at the core of everything that we do as human beings in terms of how we relate to others and how we bond with those around us. Yeah. So when you say that it's at the core of everything we do as human beings, can you give some examples of that across the lifespan? So when we, yeah, when we are infants, when we're infants and babies, we attach to what's called a primary attachment figure. So our attachment systems are working all the time. We're attaching to our colleagues and our friends and our family, but most of us will have a primary attachment figure or a primary attachment, maybe one or two primary attachment figures. For an infant and a child, that's your caregivers or your parents. Those are your primary attachment figures that you are bonded to. And it is your bond to them that lets you have the sense that you're safe in the world. Mm-hmm that you are safe in the world and that you can go out into the world and explore the world from the safe base that your parents provide you. So we used to think that attachment was really just about something that happened in these early life stages. 
But what we know now in the 1980s, these researchers, Mulkinser and Shaler, they said, actually, adult romantic relationships mirror what happens with infants and toddlers and parents. And for every stage of infant attachment, there's a correlating stage in romantic attachment. So what that means is that when we're grownups, when we're adults, our partner is our primary attachment figure. So they are our true significant other in our life. And they are then providing us with a sense of safety and security in their safe base that we then go out into the rest of the world of the world and to life from. And even though we're fully capable adults of feeding and clothing and taking care of ourselves, it still activates that survival instinct, that survival imperative if that person moves away from us, like it would a child. We are capable and functional, independent beings, and we are also profoundly dependent. Yeah. Which drives a lot of red blooded Americans crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But that is how the human body is wired. We're fighting wiring, you know? (laughs) I know we'd all love to believe that, you know, that the healthiest people out there don't need people. Like, I think there's a lot of messages, right? You see this in the media and in cultures, family cultures, different places. And it's, there's something about feeling like we don't need others that makes us feel stronger. But the truth is, is that what you're describing there is, is built in, whether we like it or not. And yeah. yeah. And there's a, there's also in attachment theory, there's a paradox in attachment, Yeah, which is the more securely bonded I feel to my partner, the more my bond with them is functioning well, the more independent I get to be in the rest of life. Yeah, isn't that wild? So that's the paradox. It's almost like, oh, if I have a really, a safe base that's functioning really well and I feel really secure and safe and connected to my partner, then I get to go out into the world and I get to be me and I get to be much more fearless and take more risks. I'm more resilient with stress. All kinds of things are impacted by that. Right. So there is a dance between the independence and the attachment mm-hmm. that happens, but it starts with good, healthy attachment. Yeah, that's a great summary. I love that. That's, you know, I could bottle that up and hand it to every person that I work with and just say, this is what's happening for you. This is what's going on in your body. And yeah. you're like, you're like yeah. you said, you're psycho biosocial, right? Mm-hmm. Psychological, mm-hmm. biological, social. Like it is complicated and it's wired through all of us and there's no way to outmaneuver it. And so we have to learn how to work with it. Mm-hmm. And it's not a problem. It just becomes a problem. We don't understand it. <laughs> it, is our, it is our strength as human beings. It is our strength. So what is our culture doing then when we talk about these mixed messages, especially in the context of betrayal, betrayal of this attachment relationship when it's broken? What is the culture doing to shame and maybe even criticize these natural attachments? What, what messages are, are betrayed partners especially getting that are so unhelpful? Well, so I think, you know, to think about this, I think we have to almost start a little bit previous to your question. Okay. And just like what's happening with the attachment system for a betrayed partner because... Yeah, let's go back there. We are attached to our most significant other. And one of the questions that betrayed partners ask me a lot is, especially if they're dealing with addiction, if they're dealing with infidelity, they'll say, well, I might be attached to him, but he's not attached to me. Mm. He's been cheating. He's been lying. He's been withdrawn. He's been distant. He's been uninvolved. He's been unavailable. Whatever the language is that you know, they want to throw at it, for them, it's 
feels like they can't get connected to their partner emotionally. Mm-hmm. So then therefore they are like, they must not be attached to me. And so one of the things that I always talk to my trade partners about is that you are attached at the level of your body. You and your significant other are attached. You actually form one biological unit. So when we pair bond, we actually start to regulate each other's heart rate, hormones, blood pressure, breathing, all our big systems in our body become get co-regulated by our partner. So at the level of your body, you are attached to your partner and your partner is attached to you. Now, that attachment may not be functioning well. It may not feel good and it may not be functioning well, but the attachment is there. And so I think that's really important to differentiate between because I think betrayed partners can start to feel like they're not attached, but they really, that their partner is not really attached to them, but their partner is. Their partner is just as attached to them as they are to their partner. I love that. And I, and I think it really does, you know, maybe even validate why, you know, an addicted husband or a husband who's got secrets is avoiding his wife, why he's maneuvering the way he's maneuvering is because, right, he's dancing around the attachment bond that they have. I mean, it's, he's responding to something that's actually there. And he is absolutely responding to something that's there. We all have an attachment system. That's right. We all have an attachment style. So Yes, he may also be attached to an addiction uh-huh. or to an affair partner. So now there's what I call would call competing, competing. attachment, uh-huh. right? But he's attached to you as well, right? If you are his primary partner, exactly, exactly. And and it's not just you know if you only think of attachment as sitting around having nice conversations and sharing your deepest feelings, then that's just one maybe small slice of what attachment a secure attachment can look like or an attachment, but. Like you said, there can be attachment can be this messy sort of dance back and forth, even chaotic, but there's energy going back and forth because this system, like you said, is is being strained or affected by all kinds of other things. And so yeah, I love the way that you validate yes. and point out that when we pair bond with somebody, you know, we've stepped into a unity that we may not be able to always consciously like describe or even identify, but it's we're feeling it. It's there. Yeah. And I think that's why I wanted to go back there when you were asking the yeah. question about the shaming, because we ha- I think we disrespect culturally people's attachment systems. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I have learned over 20 years of being a therapist is to respect people's attachment systems. For sure. Because people do not break their attachments easily. Mm-hmm. We are talking about breaking apart a biological unit, you know? when we are talking about divorce or we're talking about separations and people do not do that lightly and they do not do it easily. And that is because of how primal our attachment system is to our survival and our well-being as individuals and as human beings. So we have to have a lot of respect for how strong people's attachment really is, despite the fact that it may not be functioning very well. Yeah, it'd be like just being super cavalier and casual about amputation. Right, right. Oh, it, right. you won't miss it. I know you have two legs. You'll be fine. I mean, it's life changing, and it's and it, it is life changing, and it, and it, it's like yeah. losing a limb. It feels like losing a limb, right? Yeah. So we have to be. I think we have to really honor and and prioritize our attachment systems better than we are. Yes, in our culture. So. 
Do you want to talk about the shaming piece now? Yeah, let's, let's jump, jump into there? that. Yeah, let's let's bridge into that. I, I appreciate the the context because I think it'll it will help the listeners understand why these messages then are so harmful and, and what to do about them. So yeah, let's bridge into that. Yeah. So what I see happen for betrayed partners in our culture is, and this you think about think about movies and how many movies or TV shows or People magazine or whatever it is, the story that we all live with is if you're in a relationship with somebody and they cheat on you, then you need to wrap yourself in your cloak of self-righteousness and stalk right out of that relationship if you have any respect for yourself. Yeah. You're not going to stay and let somebody cheat on you. And if you do, you're weak and you do not respect yourself. And you can say you're codependent. You can slap all kinds of stuff on that if you want to. Oh yeah. Yeah. And the one that comes to mind that it was definitely kind of our generation was the Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. when Bill Clinton was in the White House. For those of you who are younger listening to this in the mid nineties, yeah. you know, he was unfaithful to his wife in the White House as a president and she was the first lady, but also a very, you know, she had her own life and her own career and just, you know, it wasn't, so they were like treating, people would talked about her like she was this weak, dependent, stand by your man kind of a thing. And boy, it just wasn't that simple. It's not that simple for anybody. Right. And I think that's where, again, we are just really not understanding what happens to us when we attach and when we mm-hmm. bond with somebody and how profound that is. And so the you know schizophrenia that we all live with in our culture is, here's this cultural story. We all know it. We're all familiar with it. We could all just recite it probably like I just did. So this is our cultural story about how we handle cheating. The reality is most people try to figure out a way to make it work. Right. And if they can't make it work, they may end up divorcing. But many, many, many couples try to figure out how to come back together and repair after that. And that story doesn't really get told. So we've got this division between the cultural story we tell about what we think you should do and then what people actually do based on their attachment systems and how they're wired. What's up with the cultural story, Michelle? What do you think is going on there? I, I don't know. I mean, I think <laughs> I think that's a big old can of worms. I you know. know, I think that has to do with how we think about cheating. You know, I think that has to do with power over power under dynamics, you know, that are so prevalent in our culture that it's like, well, if somebody took power over you by cheating, you need to take your power back by leaving them rather than it being a relationship (laughs) and figuring out how to navigate a relationship. It's very transactional. So there's all kinds of different threads we could pull on that, you know, and think about. Yeah. And I know we don't need to maybe go down that rabbit hole, but I, but I I think it's interesting to at least challenge it, right. To look at it and say, maybe there's a problem with it. Cause I agree. It's so instinctive for us to think like, I mean, I have so many partners that I work with who will say to me, oh, like I knew exactly how I would handle this when I was dating him, you know, before they were fully like bonded and had kids and like had really woven their lives together. It was like, oh yeah, like I would, I knew exactly what I would do. I would, I would not, one chance, one strike, boom, you're done. Like this is so yeah, nice. I, I will leave your butt if you cheat on me. Right? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and some do, and some do. And I don't, I don't have a script for anybody how they should handle this, but, but the ones who do feel pulled to like work on it and care about it and, and try and salvage it certainly don't need the extra cultural commentary on, on how they're weak they, or. They really don't. And so what happens for a lot of betrayed partners is they get stuck in this dynamic that I call attachment shame. Yeah. And 
that dynamic is this shame that they feel because they want to stay with this person who hurt them. So the shame that they feel about staying with this person who has caused them harm, who has done this, this unthinkable thing, and they feel shame that they still like the person, that they still love the person, that they're still drawn to the person, that they still are sharing life with the person, that they're still maybe being sexual with the person. They have shame about their attachment system and the way that their attachment system pulls them to stay in the relationship because they think I should, if I had self-respect, I would just leave because of that cultural story that's so predominant. So they feel shame about the fact that they're staying in the relationship and trying to work on it. And that's a real pain point for a lot of betrayed partners to sort through and wrestle through that staying and repairing the relationship is not something to ever, ever, ever feel shame about. But that is a very individual choice. Everybody has to decide for themselves what to do after betrayal. And it is honoring your attachment system to give yourself a lot of space and room to figure that out, to figure out what is going to be best for yourself and to not just decide because this happened, therefore I need to leave. Yeah. And the, the fact that you're using the word shame, I think is really significant because shame is a sense of brokenness. Like that almost like I'm broken because I'm having these very natural, instinctive, hardwired responses. That's a crazy making experience because you can't stop yourself from feeling it, but yet you're consciously sort of telling yourself or being told that something's wrong with you if you feel this. Yeah, that is, that's a really, so I, I love the permission you're giving. I think it's so, so healthy to examine that. How, I mean, last episode, we talked a lot about creating space and, and for a betrayed partner, I'm guessing that, I mean, you're, you're inviting these individuals to also create some space here and kind mm-hmm. of slow this down big time. How, how can they do that in these situations where they're feeling the natural instincts to stay attached? And then they're also battling with a lot of messages and shame around these impulses. So how do they get out of that mm-hmm. kind of crazy making dilemma that they might feel? Yeah, I think that every partner has to sort of find their way through that. Because mm-hmm. as I've worked with partners on this, the same thing doesn't work for everybody in terms of navigating yourself, your way to seeing it differently. Mm, yep. You really you have to reframe what's happening for yourself. You have to understand it. You have to sort of remove yourself from these power over, power under transactional dynamics that are so prevalent in the culture and sort of come over into this relational paradigm that is much more about what is good for me? What do I want? What do I value? What do I want long term? What is this love relationship like for me? And do I want to try to salvage it? And what will that require? These are non-transactional questions. These are relational questions. And they're about the relationship with yourself and then the relationship with your partner. So you really have to shift your paradigm completely and really recognize that staying working in a relational paradigm is takes enormous strength and enormous courage. This is not for the faint of heart. So the idea that somehow you are weak or somehow you are lacking self-respect when you are working in a relational paradigm where you're trying to figure out what is really good 
for you, for your relationship, for your family, for your children, for your for every for everyone that's involved in it, because these are these involve more than just you and your partner often. That is a relational way of doing things. And it is very challenging and very hard and very nuanced for each person. So you have to somehow find your way out of this other paradigm into that relational paradigm and recognize the strength that it takes to do that. And I think when you can do that and kind of get your head around it, the shame starts to dissipate and the shame starts to dissolve because they're coming out of this idea that, you know, because this person had power over for a while, I now need to take power back. And you're coming out of that dynamic. Yeah, I love I love the permission and the, the <clears throat> reframe here that this is not a weakness to be grappling with these different elements. Mm-hmm. Because I this think is- that's the feeling, right? The feeling is like, oh my gosh, like I'm hanging on to this or I'm thinking about these things or why am I giving him a chance or letting him still affect me and all these things. But like to really grapple with those, talk through them, think through them, sort through them. Like you said, I love it. It takes so much courage and humility and openness and, oh man, it's a lot of work. It takes courage in both directions. So yeah, I have this, I have a coaching program called Braving Hope for Betrayed Partners. And we do a ton of work with betrayed partners in there. And some of them are working on repairing their relationship. And we do a lot of talking in there about risk-taking and moving fear out of the way so that you can take the risks that you need to take relationally. And so for those that are like working on healing their relationship, there's enormous risk-taking and vulnerability that's going on to do that. At the exact same time, we're going to have other partners in there that are working on leaving the relationship because they have looked at it and said, this is really not good for me. And then there's enormous fear about leaving. There's enormous fear. And again, the culture doesn't say that. The culture acts like leaving is easy and that leaving is something that people do lightly and boom, they have a new life. And the reality is most people, it takes a pro- there's a process mm-hmm. to being able to leave and to have the internal resilience and ego strength to be able to do that and feel okay emotionally to break that attachment is not a small thing. So in either direction, if we're doing it in a relational manner, it requires us to honor the attachment system, honor how profoundly that is interwoven into us. And it requires enormous courage and strength either way that we're going with. Yeah. Toward or away from the relationship. Yeah. Either direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I really appreciate that a lot. I think that'll help a lot of people who not only are going through it, but people who are supporting them and maybe feeling like they have to pressure them to force a decision or getting impatient with them mm-hmm. or feeling like they're just complicating it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, from the outside, again, when you're not attached, it seems so black and white. It seems so clear. It seems so black and white. I'm smiling at you because I'm remembering. So I think it's sort of public knowledge that I went through my own story of betrayal. And one of my friends who was watching me go through leaving my relationship, she was like, I mean, couldn't you have done that in like half the time? (laughs) (laughs) Like, why did that take so long, you know? So fast forward, fast forward many years later, she went through her own situation. Oh my. Her relationship ended up leaving that relationship. And she, she and I were at dinner one day and she was just like, I can't believe I ever said that to you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Now, now I understand. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm in the situation and I am, you know, and 
I realized how complicated it is and how hard it is and how gut-wrenching it all is to sort through. Who was I to ever say, you know? So it was a real interesting kind of coming around. So so if somebody's listening to this, who's not going through it, but they're supporting someone who is, what would you say to them? I would say be aware of how complex and how deeply interrooted inside of us our attachment and relationships are. And that when somebody is trying to decide what to do in terms of how to either rebuild and repair something that's been severely damaged or whether they need it, there's been too much damage and they need to leave it, that they are in something that feels like a life and death kind of decision. And it takes a lot of time to figure it out. And often they just need somebody to hold space for them without judgment. Mm. Somebody who's not going to judge how much time it's taking or not have an opinion about what they need to do. They really need somebody to just walk alongside them and hold space and recognize this is a big deal. It's a very, very big, pivotal, life-changing decision either way. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. Hold space non-judgmentally. So what should be the balance then? I mean, between, you know, a partner protecting herself from, you know, obviously getting hurt again or even, you know, abused again or whatever the situation may be, while also honoring her attachment reflexes that she can't turn off. Mm-hmm. How does personal safety and the attachment thing, what's the healthiest? I know that's like a probably a 10 hour answer to that question, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but it just in terms of like just an overview of like what kinds of things will she have to, you know in terms of reconciling that so that she can primarily because it's really about safety right primarily oh it is about safety i mean i think we're we're kind of talking about so another concept that i talk about in my model of working with partners trade partners is attachment ambivalent yeah and attachment ambivalence happens because normally our attachment system and our threat response system work together really well. So normally when we feel stress or distress, both systems fire and tell us to move closer to our primary partner, our primary attachment figure, because they're going to help us deal with stress and distress. So normally those two systems are functioning well together. For partners who are dealing with betrayal, those two systems actually now start to be at war with one another. Right. Because your attachment system prompts you to move closer to. Your threat response system says, well, wait a minute, this person that you normally move closer to, they are actually the problem. They're actually the source of danger. So let's move away. Let's protect ourselves. Let's fight. Let's do something to mitigate threat. So these two systems inside your body that normally sync up well are now firing simultaneously and opposed. So what happens for betrayed partners is that they end up on this roller coaster, moving toward, moving away, moving toward, moving away, because their attachment system says, this is your person in the world. This is who you turn to for comfort. This is who you turn to when you need support. Move toward them. You're in like the biggest pain of your life. So move toward them for comfort and support. And your threat system says, this person is dangerous. They have lied to you. They have hurt you beyond anything you ever imagined. Run away. Run away as fast as you can. So these systems are happening. These are, again, primitive systems in your body. They are not in your control, right? They're in their motivational systems that happen based on instinct. And so they're firing and now they're in opposition to one another. So all the trade partners are dealing with this attachment ambivalence dynamic and trying to figure out what to do with this push-pull, push-pull inside of themselves. So 
coming back to your question about like, what do you, how do you deal with safety when you've got both of these things going on mm-hmm. inside of you? One of the things that I work with betrayed partners on and try to help them with is to identify where in the relationship is it safe for you to seek connection and where in the relationship is it unsafe to seek connection? So with this person who has betrayed you, is it, can you still co-parent with them? Can you still talk about the business of the household with them? Because those are forms of connection. Right. Can you still sleep in the same bed beside them? Because your bodies co-regulate each other as you sleep. Can you still sit and watch a movie together? What can you do that doesn't send you into too much pain and too much overwhelm by being too close to them or send you into them treating you poorly, being in conversations or dynamics where you're not being treated well by them. So figuring out where is the where are the places where I can have some connection, which helps calm my body down, but then where do I need to have some boundaries where I stay safe? And often as partners sort that out, they come out of this wild roller coaster that attachment ambivalent creates. And they start to settle down into some, it slows that whole thing down is what I would say. Yeah, it I really, I, I can totally see that. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. What'd you say? It just gives them ways to connect safely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I love that. And I think what's so helpful about that is it gets it out of the all bad, all good dynamic. There are mm-hmm. some cases that are clearly like dangerous and need to end immediately. You know, we've mm-hmm. seen those, but in my experience, most couples, it's, it's something in between. It's, there's things to figure out. Plus, again, you're dealing with the attachment system and there are a lot of places where they still can, can get regulated and get some comfort. And I believe that a, that a betrayed partner deserves any safe comfort that's available to them. Absolutely. They, Absolutely. And recognizing that that actually does come from your partner. Yeah. Even when your partner is also the person who has hurt you. Right. So again, this goes straight to that shame issue we were talking about. Mm-hmm to partners and say, feel like, because I still want to turn to, you know, the cheating person and ask for comfort, ask for them to hold me or ask for them to listen to me or be around them. What I must, something must be wrong with me. And so this is where that shame interweaves with this dynamic. Yes. And and the message again, from this episode and from the work that you're doing and we're talking about here is you're not broken for feeling that. You are absolutely as normal as can be. Mm-hmm. And this is how your attachment system functions, that it makes you want to move toward your primary partner. So again, this cultural story just denies the reality of how we're wired as human beings. It just pretends like it doesn't exist. And so I think what I see happen is for betrayed partners, when they start to understand this, it's enormously, enormously relieving for them. Because rather than feeling like something's wrong with me that I actually want this cheater that I should hate and that I should, you know, kick out of my bed, that instead I actually want to lay in bed beside them and get held, something must be wrong with me to know that no, this is actually how your attachment system works. Right. And that there will be some clear ways where if you do need to get to safety or when you get need to get to safety, you'll you'll get some clarity around that. I think it's easier to get more clarity on it, like we talked about in terms of that secure base at the beginning, if they kind of go with the places where they can get comfort, they'll actually be able to think more clearly about where they need to be safe. And that, you know, you, you kind of work with both systems and sort of honor each one. And I think yeah. it, I think it makes it easier to find your way to safety 
both emotionally, physically, and other areas. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is honoring both of them because there is also the need for safety, the need for boundaries, the need for protection. Absolutely. That's a real need as well. So what I want partners to, when I'm working with them with these concepts, I want them to come into more awareness about what's happening Mm -hmm. and be able to actually start to ask for what they need. Yes. If it is, I need some connection that will be safe for me to help calm myself down, or I need some distance that will be safe for me so that I can calm myself down. Right. Which when it is that they're able to identify that and begin to ask for it and get it rather than being unconscious about it and just sort of ping-ponging around both in how they're behaving and in their own internal world. Beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Great topic. We could keep talking about this forever. I just think it's so endlessly helpful and interesting and critical to understand this and tease it all out. But I think you've done an incredible job of simplifying and mapping out something that really is very complicated for anybody going through it. So thank you so much for your clarity and just the the great work that you're doing to to support and educate and and help people through this. It's really it really does make a difference. Oh well thank you for having me be here and just for providing a platform to help so many people to work with these really complicated nuanced issues, but that are also very common. Yeah, exactly. That's a great way to put it. Once again, Michelle, thank you for the great work you're doing. I'll, I'll definitely make it easy for people to find you and the, the great resources that you offer. But I, I just really do appreciate your time today. Thank you. If you want to learn more about Michelle and her team and the great work that they're doing, you can find her at relationalrecovery.com and partnerhope.com. And I'll put links to all of that in the show notes as always. So it's easy to find all her information. Thank you, Michelle. It's great to connect with you. And I love all the information you're sharing. And Michelle actually just launched a new YouTube channel and I'll put that in the show notes as well, where she's got a lot of great informational videos on a lot of different subjects. And once again, I wanna thank all of you for your fantastic support. Thank you for all the comments and the suggestions and the feedback. It just means the world to me. And I know that it also helps get this information out to other people. There are a lot of people out there needing good help and support. And your rating and your review of the podcast and your comments and feedback makes such a huge difference. So thank you for doing that. And also you can find me at my website from crisistoconnection.com. And I've got lots of great stuff there. I've got a free download on three things you can do to end a marriage argument and also have online courses and past episodes of this podcast and my weekly relationship column. So lots of great resources. And you can also follow me on social media on Instagram and Facebook. And all of those links are in the show notes. So as always, it's great to connect with all of you. Thank you for being a part of this community. And I will connect with you in the next episode. Thank you.